right. Week 11 and episode six of From the Shotgun podcast. And boy, Sean, it is a special one. We have our very first guest on the show. He is um, a co-host of one of the Bay Area's new sports podcasts. It is University of Nevada, Reno graduate, uh, Hugh Tomasello. Hugh, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you so much for letting me hop in here. Uh, I've been a big fan of your work. I love what you guys are doing. Uh, obviously, you know, I've always shared lots of great sports conversations with the two of you before you started this podcast. And now that your minds have melded together behind one mic and one show, uh, the world's not ready for it. But I'm excited. I love what you guys are doing. And I'm happy to be here. Yeah, actually, Hugh, if it wasn't for Hugh, this podcast wouldn't would be a thing. Kind of found out from Hugh that TJ was in, in one of my classes and we got to talking and that's how this podcast was born. So I guess everyone has to thank Hugh for sitting through an hour of this each week and dreading every episode that comes out. No, don't put that evil on me. But if if this works out, I will take all the credit. Yeah, Hugh has kind of been the um, the overlord, if you will, that has that has made this podcast happen. So yeah, Hugh, really <laughs> appreciate that. Tell us a little bit about yourself because, you know, you're your co-host of the Blow the Whistle podcast. You guys are about, I think, what, 15 plus episodes in at least. Kind of tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, so uh, I hail from the Bay Area and that's where my uh, my sports fandom really started. Grew up loving the 49ers and that grew into the Giants and the Sharks and the Warriors. Um, and then I went to school at the University of Nevada, where I earned uh, two degrees. And during those six years that I lived in Reno, obviously became a huge Wolfpack fan, uh, along with the two of you. Um, so any Nevada sports and then all my Bay Area teams uh, really shaped the kind of sports fan that I am. And then this past summer, me and one of my best friends, Luke, for those of you who have listened to Blow the Whistle, we decided like, hey, you know, like we're in quarantine it's 2020. If there's ever a time for us to spew our uh, our awful sports takes to the world, it's now. And like you guys, we we grinded and put out a podcast, and now it's a blast. It's one of my favorite things. To look forward to every week where you know we talk all things Bay Area sports and mix in our own humor and ridiculousness. And you know, as you guys very well know, having your own podcast is just such a fun outlet to really be yourself and just knowing that people come to listen to your sports opinion is pretty cool. So that's how I got started with that. Sports have always been my passion and, you know, podcasting is on the rise now and it's becoming one of the new fads. So I wanted to get in the game. Yeah, I was going to say, I think if 2020 has brought anything uh, even remotely good out of it, it's, it is that rise of podcasts and people podcasting because, um, you know, obviously it was a thing before that, but I think, you know, a lot of people like you and Luke, it's like, you know, you just kind of wanted to find something to do. You wanted to find something to talk about. You didn't want to just sit at home and do mm-hmm. nothing. And you know, what, what better way to pass the time than talking to one of your buddies about sports? Exactly. It's my favorite pastime. And you're two more of my buddies I love to talk sports with. So I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, before before Hugh and Luke started their podcast, most of their sports takes went to our group chat, and I'm uh, very glad now that I don't have to listen, <laughs> or I don't have to get my phone blown up every two hours by them. Um, but I do want to say that I was on the Blow the Whistle podcast, I believe it was episode four, 
Mm-hmm. And so, and I was, I believe the third guest. So Hugh, you should feel bad about yourself now that, you know, you're the first guest on ours and I had to wait for episodes to be on your podcast. I know. And I haven't even gotten TJ on. So I, yeah, I was going <laughs> to say like, I mean, I was just, I was waiting for that, but you know, I, I'm sure I will get the, I don't know if you want to call it an honor, but I, I, I'm, I'm hoping one day. <laughs> I wouldn't well, call it an honor. <laughs> your your favorite teams are all over the place, so it's yeah, it's yeah, I'm not uh, a big Bay Area guy, so I guess it makes sense. But when uh, you know this season, you are a Sharks fan, so Ooh, we could definitely we could get you on for that. But also, uh, when the Warriors play the Jazz this season, we might have to we might have to get you on to talk about that. Yeah, when the when the Jazz inevitably beat and sweep the Warriors this year is what you mean. Yes, of course. As long as uh, the Jazz don't have a three-one lead. Oh yeah, and that is very. I mean, we could both say this to this point. We could. I realized as I made that joke that sports fandom is all over the place coming from the Clemson football fan. So yeah, <laughs> I, I I stay pretty local until it comes to Clemson football. That's. Uh, you know, believe it or not, if there was one sports team that I rooted for before any others, it was Clemson football. Um, and for a while, that didn't mean anything to anyone. It's only up until, you know, this past decade or so, starting with Taj Boyd and then Deshaun Watson and now Trevor Lawrence. Um, but before that, they were, you know, they were nothing. So it's exciting to see the, how far they've come. You, real quick, can you, um, can you pronounce the next great quarterback at Clemson for us? Oh, no, I cannot, and I'm not going to try. <laughs> I, I don't want to embarrass myself there. Yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to put that the, on record. For all, the, for all the new – or for all the people that watch the NFL that are just being introduced to a tongue of Iowa, just wait until you have to get to DJ Uyunglele. Dude, that was flawless. I think that was right. I don't know. I think so. You should take side jobs. <laughs> Sean I mean you got the the pronunciations are my hardest thing man and that that rolled off the tongue with ease I always call him DJ ukulele I that's that's what it reads to me is there a reason why you like Clemson Hugh yeah so my uh my grandfather attended Clemson University and he throughout my entire life and his entire life um was a big supporter of them uh even all the way out here in California, he, uh, he started uh, like some booster clubs out here uh, back before the NCAA got really strict about, you know, benefits for athletes. He would sometimes host uh, the sports teams for dinner back in the day, like when they would travel out here to play. And then there's actually an award in his name at Clemson. It's the distinguished service award. Uh, It's the Frank Keller's award now. So uh, my whole family bleeds Tiger Orange uh, because of him. So straight out the womb, I've been a Clemson fan because of him. He instilled that in me early. So ever since then, Tiger bread, baby. You have much better reasons to like your favorite teams than than I do in certain senses because I started becoming a Bengals fan when I was real little just because I like their colors and I like their color scheme. And, you know, look at the path that's led down me or led me down for the past you know 15 whatever years now and it's it hasn't hasn't gotten easier hopefully it's getting it'll get easier in the future but that's here nor there (laughs) hey man you never know joe burrow looks like the future it's always burrow season i've made all my you know all my usernames and stuff like that it's all burrow season now so i'm 
you know, it, he could have finished zero and sixteen this year, and I'm I'm on his side. Dude's a stud. And you and you got T Higgins, wide yeah. from wide receiver U, Clemson University. It's uh it's Burrow season for TJ, but uh it's now uh, Zach Wilson season for you and I as 49ers fans. But 100%. that's a conversation for another day. <laughs> Hopefully that day is uh that day is soon because I'm ready for Zach Wilson season to start ASAP. All right. So basically what we're gonna do, we're gonna change the format of the podcast tonight just a little bit. Usually we preview or we we review the games from the previous week and then we preview the games from this upcoming week. Today, we're just going to uh, preview five games for this upcoming week, week 11 in the NFL, and then we're going to spend a little bit of a a longer segment talking a little bit about Nevada football, Hugh's time with Nevada football, and kind of take it from there. So, let's go ahead and jump right into it. NFC West, which a lot of people I think would say is the NFC best, the best division in football to this point, has a primetime game coming up on Thursday night and shoot I know you guys know this better than anyone this is going to be a good one Cardinals and Seahawks uh Cardinals coming off that absolutely miraculous game-winning catch by Clemson U DeAndre Hopkins this past week against the Bills I mean I before we even talk about the game man let's talk about that what a freaking catch that was yeah, I mean, for those of us that, you know, followed Clemson back, you know, 2010 to 2012, we're, we're not surprised that DeAndre Hopkins is making plays like that. He was still a first-round pick, but, you know, I don't think he went to the Texans until the 20s, which I thought he, he absolutely slipped. Um, but, yeah, he's, I think, you know, unbiasedly, even as a Clemson fan, I do think he's the best wide receiver in the NFL. You know, there are some guys that maybe Devontae Adams is a little better route runner. Maybe Julio, you know, obviously has the physique over him. But when you want someone who's the complete package, I think it's DeAndre Hopkins all day. And he shows you in moments like that. He's a clutch receiver that when you need a Hail Mary and you just need him to be better than everyone else on the football field, he can do it. Uh, And Kyler Murray's special, man. Like that guy, I'm not excited to have another Russell Wilson-esque quarterback for the next decade or so, giving me heart palpitations as a 49er fan. So as Sean will tell you too, no matter what the team's records are, even when the NFC uh, West was you know, putting teams in the playoffs with seven to nine records 10 years ago, the, the interdivisional matchups there are always, they're so wild. They're always they always come down to some ridiculous special teams play, you know, a late turnover, just something dramatic. Uh, It's always wild in the NFC West. So that's going to be a matchup I'm really excited to watch. Yeah. um, Just like you were saying, you know, I feel like the the Niners and Seahawks games get kind of blown up as these big, crazy games with crazy endings uh, just because they're huge rivals, but it happens everywhere in the West. I mean, we're going to get it this week with two, unbelievable quarterbacks of course we'll keep talking about that more but yeah Kyler Murray is as he was saying special and it's going to be just I've already had to live with however many years of Russell Wilson just tearing my team apart and now I have to deal with Kyler Murray for the next 15-20 years it's gonna be it's gonna be awful so 
can't wait for Zach Wilson to get in there and show who the best Wilson in the NFC West is. And uh, shouts out to Dre Greenlaw for uh, taking down Russell Wilson last year. It's about time that the Niners are finally going to have a quarterback where teams say, man, I'm tired of facing, you know, insert 49er quarterback because the Jimmy G's and the Alex Smith's of the world uh, never really had that. And Kaepernick had it for a couple seasons, but you know, again, we, we've never really had like the Kyler Murray's or the Russell Wilson's that people dread having to face or the Joe Burrows now, like TJ has, like he's become one of those guys that, you know, you don't want to play him because you never know what kind of magic he can pull out. Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, dang, talk about this matchup. Cause I mean, this is the matchup of arguably two of the best quarterbacks in football right now in Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. And <laughs> I mean, the over-under is massive, as expected, at 57.5. They have the Seahawks favored by three points in this game. And, you know, personally, I think if this is, you know, a regular season where the Seahawks, you know, have the 12th man and whatnot, they're still 4-0 at home this season. I'd probably take the Seahawks, no doubt, in this one. But because of a couple things, Seahawks, they've looked shaky the last couple weeks. They've lost Mm -hmm. three of their last four, and they've lost two in a row. And me and Sean talked last week. We didn't see the Seahawks losing two games in a row, especially coming off that loss to the Bills, and then kind of laying an egg on offense, if you will, for their standards against the Rams only putting up 16 points there. And with that all being said, I, I'm i not really sure what to expect out of this game. I, I don't know. Like, the Seahawks, they, they just haven't shown me what they had shown through the first, what was it, five games of the season. And, they, you know, being one and three in the last four is just kind of not put full doubt in my mind, but it, it's just left me a little bit shaky. I think Sean can attest to this as well. A lot of that shakiness goes with their defense because their defense is still really bad. They played better last week, if you will, only allowed 23 points. But I kind of want to hear what your guys' opinions on this game is as a whole. Who do you got coming out of it? Man, so – Kind of going back to what you were saying, you know, through the first five or six weeks, you know, Seattle looked like one of the best teams in the league, even despite that atrocious defense. And they had two givens every week. You know, the defense was going to be bad and give up a lot of yards, but Russell Wilson was going to be perfect and play like an MVP and bail him out. And the last couple of weeks, you've only had one of those givens. The defense has looked as bad as advertised. But Russell Wilson has kind of simmered down a little bit. You know, he's still obviously an MVP candidate, but he's been, you know, getting a little sloppy with the football. He's been turning it over more. And with how bad that Seahawks defense is, you cannot make any mistakes on offense when you are this Seahawks team. And they've been doing that lately. And that first Cardinal Seahawks game this season was so bizarre you know, with, again, the late turnover by Russell Wilson that gave the Cardinals another shot in overtime, and they ultimately kicked the field goal and won. So, you know, the Seattle does play better at home, so I'll probably give them the edge here in this one. But, again, I it's so hard to predict in this division, especially any game that includes the Seahawks. They have never played a normal football game as long as I've been watching them, so you really never know. Yeah, shouts to uh, Kevin Clark for that mm-hmm. glorious tweet of his. But going back to what we've, we talked about this a lot on this podcast about how 
the Seahawks defense is going to have to turn it around if they want to be contenders, especially given the last few weeks with Russell Wilson not playing as well as he has. But this past week, I think something else came up and kind of overshadowed almost everything for the Seahawks. And that was there was a point in this past week's game where they didn't go for it on fourth and short. And Pete Carroll was saying, well, you know, what if we didn't get it? And I inadvertently have a lot of Seahawks people on my timeline here and there. But, you know, Joe Fan, who is their beat writer for NBC Sports uh, 49ers legend, he he was talking about how Pete Carroll has to trust in his offense because it's the best thing about this football team. And then I see other Seahawks fans who get retweeted on my timeline talking about um, how quickly has a coach been fired after he's gotten an extension? So we, we saw them be like Russell Wilson be perfect for the first five weeks of the season. And now it's everything is kind of falling apart. And to that point, I mean, I still think that Russell Wilson is really good. But even though the Seahawks are at home and the way Kyler Murray has been playing this year, especially these last few weeks, he's been unbelievable. I think I would probably have to give the edge to the Cardinals and Kyler Murray. And honestly, this may sound crazy, but I'm basically picking Kyler Murray in that offense over Russell Wilson and Seattle, Seattle's offense. Yeah, I can see that. I, I think I'm going to pick Arizona for the same reason, because I think at face value, like if you pit Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray against, say, an average defense each, I would probably give the edge to Russell Wilson there. But just, you know, given this matchup right here with, A, how bad Seattle's defense is, and, B, how hot Arizona's defense has been, I'm going to give the edge to Arizona as well. I think especially coming off um, a quick turnaround, I think Arizona's got a good chance to carry a lot of the, a lot of the momentum that they had from this past Sunday into this Thursday night's game. I know Kenyon Drake's going to come in questionable, but obviously Chase Edmonds, he's been a pretty good backup running back for them. But yeah, I'm gonna go Arizona in this one. I um, I made my picks in my in my pools earlier, and I I stress I went back and forth on this one for a long time because like part of me wants to say I can't see Seattle losing three in a row, but I said that last week I couldn't see Seattle losing two in a row, and that ended up coming to fruition. Noted Seattle Seahawks fan Hugh Tomasello. <laughs> you know I've just I've learned the hard way, Sean, this past decade. Literally every time you think Seattle's going to lose or you think they're finally done or they're finally like not going to make the playoffs is when they be the Seahawks and pull off some, you know, ridiculous nonsense. So I am basing my prediction just off the fact that I've been hurt too many times thinking they were dead in the water. I think they get up for the fact that, you know, there's a three-way tie, not counting the divisional tiebreakers, but just record straight up there's a three-way tie in the nfc west right now and i still think seattle thinks they're kings of the mountain even if the niners won last year and uh they're going to get up for this game and they're going to make sure they solidify themselves uh as the first place team i i think i've said those exact same words about uh learning how to be hurt by russell wilson so I we meet every tuesday it. night yeah, Those y'all... of us who have been hurt by Russell Wilson, we meet every Tuesday if you need to talk about it. it, it it's the Russell Wilson coping um, organization, from what I've heard. It is. Now, y'all, y'all Seahawks, that's basically been my Pittsburgh over the last couple, week, over the last couple years. I mean, 
it just always seems like, you know, whenever I think that my team's finally, you know, going to get over the hump, like say in 2015 or whatever, when Andy Dalton was playing an MVP caliber game and then he gets injured, we, you know, go into that playoff game against Pittsburgh and then that transpired the way that it did. That by far, that's been the worst sports experience that I've ever, <laughs> ever had to experience, like bar none. You, you could also say that, Marvin Lewis and Zach Taylor are your Pittsburgh Steelers as well. The, the, see, this is very true, especially Marvin Lewis. I mean, my gosh, we had to we had to suffer so many, like way too many years with Marvin Lewis. I mean, he seemed like a great guy. He seemed like a nice guy and everything, but man, he he cannot coach worth worth anything. But again, here nor there, Bengals aren't one of our teams on the list of five games for this week. So we will move on to one team from the AFC North. Um, that is not the Pittsburgh Steelers nor the Cincinnati Bengals. It's the Baltimore Ravens. They've got Tennessee at home this Sunday afternoon. After Tennessee will uh, come off of a long week after losing on Thursday night to the Indianapolis Colts, 34-17. to And Baltimore will also be coming in off of a loss as well on Sunday night in rainy Foxborough. To Bill Belichick's Patriots, that final was 23-17 pats. These are two six and three teams right here, guys, that definitely have some problems. Titans, they've lost three of their last four. Ravens, they've, especially on the offensive side of things, they they still can't seem to get much going through the air. Again, granted, it was not very good weather in New England this past Sunday night, um, specifically on, during the final drive against the Patriots. Um, but there, there are holes and plenty of them in both of these football teams who come into the game at 6-3. and three. Yeah, I'm looking at this game and I'm seeing two teams that are trending in the wrong direction. You know, in the first couple weeks of the season or the first quarter or so, these look like two teams that, you know, hey, potential – you know, AFC championship matchup, Baltimore and Tennessee. And now you look at them and, you know, like you said, they're both kind of on some losing streaks. And uh, with Tennessee, that defense has not been the Tennessee defense of last year where, you know, they ran the ball well and the defense created some turnovers for them and got some big stops. Tennessee can still run the ball well, but that defense is kind of letting them down. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill's good. And obviously Derrick Henry, I think, is the best back in football bar none. Uh, but you can't run the ball to get back into it when your defense is putting you down early. But then again, on Baltimore's side, they do run the ball really well, but if they need to come from behind or throw themselves into the game, they haven't proven they can do that. I know Lamar Jackson is the reigning MVP, but unless they get an early lead, he's not MVP Lamar Jackson. He's pretty average when it comes to throwing the football. And you know, again, Sean and I can tell you a Greg Roman led offense, you can run the hell out of the football, but you hold your breath every single passing down. So I'm going to take Tennessee in this game because I am such a believer in Mike Vrabel and what they can do. Uh, and I think they have the ability to get an early lead on this Baltimore team and hold it by, you know, taking seven, eight, nine-minute drives and not letting Lamar have a chance to come back into it by just feeding Derrick Henry the rock. So I'm going to take Tennessee 
in that sense, I do think it's going to be a low-scoring game, even though both these teams have proven they can put up points this year. I don't see either of them scoring more than 21, 24 points, and it's probably going to come down to a field goal. But I'll take Tennessee. Yeah, you mentioned Greg Roman, who we both know very well back from his Niner days with Jim Harbaugh. And he, you can run the hell out of the ball in a Greg Roman offense. But the Ravens really haven't been doing it that much lately. I mean, last week against New England, they Lamar Jackson was their leading rusher, and he had 55 yards. And Mark Ingram has not been very good this year. They, for some reason, refuse to give J.K. Dobbins the ball, even though they drafted him in the second round, and he's clearly the best back on that team. And when you can't run the ball like that, and Hugh mentioned kind of throwing yourselves into the game, Lamar really hasn't shown the ability to do that this year. And I, I think he can. I mean, obviously, he's a running MVP, and I think he's really, really good. But that passing offense has struggled. TJ and I have talked about it. It's, it's not what it was even last year. And neither is the run game. This offense has regressed. And I think that, you know, we, we like to crap over the Bears all the time for how hard they make offense look. And I think the Ravens have kind of been doing that lately just to a lesser degree. And it, it's showing. I mean, Marquise Brown is tweeting after the game about, about how he wants to get the football. I, 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 I'm with you on this one. Um, just give the ball to Derrick Henry, and you'll be fine if you're Tennessee. I'll, I'll take Tennessee in this one. I, I don't really like where Baltimore's at right now. So I'll go ahead and take Ryan Tannehill and the Titans. Yeah, and I think I'm going to jump on the boat right there with you guys. I'm going Tennessee as well. And a lot of, of what he was kind of mentioning, I really agree with as far as like, you know, as not so good as Tennessee has been on offense, especially through the air, I think getting that lead for them is going to be critical in this game. And I think that's something that you can do, especially when you have Derrick Henry running the rock. Um, you know, like he was saying, take those seven, eight minute drives, bleed some time off the clock, even if you just get three points. I think Tennessee's got more than enough um, in that sense in order to take care of business. And uh, I'm going to go Titans as well, because it, like the weird thing about this <laughs> Titans offense is like, I know even just like a couple weeks ago, me and Sean were talking about how Ryan Tannehill, he was in the running for MVP candidate. We thought, and I, I easily had put him in, like, you know, at the very least, top 10 MVP candidate. And I thought him getting A.J. Brown back, I, I thought that was going to, you know, boost those chances substantially. But – and he obviously – A.J. Brown has still been his favorite tar- – has still been his favorite target. But the offense as a whole, for whatever weird reason, just doesn't, doesn't want to produce. But, yeah, I'm going to go Tennessee in this one just because it – it's hard for me to trust Lamar Jackson, not only in a game where he's going to fall behind, but in a game where it's, you know, it's going to be a one possession game and he's going to have to make a lot of clutch throws down at the, or down at the end of the game. I would just much rather take Ryan Tannehill over Lamar Jackson, kind of, kind of for that reason. Yeah. I mean, Tannehill is, he's, he's such a weird quarterback to evaluate because he's kind of like the Joe Flacco argument from you know 10 years ago or so where it's like is Joe Flacco elite like I think Ryan Tannehill kind of falls in that of 
he he has the like he has those pizzazz throws he has those exciting throws he has those clutch drives he has those moments where it's like okay like you know he showed flashes in Miami and he's putting it together in Tennessee but then at the same time it's like you know is are our expectations just low and is he just an average quarterback and I think part of that comes from he is such a good team around him you know with that run game and what Vrabel's doing coaching wise but you know, I, I'm a Ryan Tannehill believer, honestly. Last year in the postseason, uh, you know, what he did against Baltimore and what he almost did against the Chiefs, like, he can do it. He's a good quarterback. He's just got to, you know, have that defense play like they can. But regardless, I'm still going to take him over the Ravens just because even though both these teams are sputtering, uh, I think Baltimore is, is going down a worse road right now. One, Joe Flacco was only elite for about a month when he broke my 12-year-old heart. Mm-hmm. And two, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong here, Hugh, I kind of think that Ryan Tannehill is what we thought Jimmy Garoppolo was going to be, at least as a passer, in that he's a terrific play-action thrower, but he just doesn't make the mistakes that Garoppolo does. And this is kind of just – I don't want to go off on a whole tangent about Jimmy Garoppolo at this point, but I, I, I am a Ryan Tannehill fan just as you are and like TJ said it's just for me right now it's Tannehill over Jackson which is why I'm going to take Tennessee all right so moving on to the next game it's another team from the AFC South and actually uh interconference matchup between the Packers and the Colts and who this is going to be another very interesting game this week because Colts again they're become they'll be coming off of a long week after taking down Tennessee on the road 34-17, and that was coming off of a loss to the Baltimore Ravens, 24-10 the week before. But now they go back home to host the Green Bay Packers. And this is a Green Bay team that, personally to me, like last three weeks or so, even though they're 2-1, and one, I don't really know about them right now. Like, I know, yeah, obviously they got Aaron Rodgers, that bad man. But – you know, losing as they did to the Vikings uh, three weeks ago and, you know, obviously beat the 49ers on Thursday night in between there, but then only beating the Jaguars 24 to 20 this past, uh, this past Sunday. Like, I still think this is a good Packers team. And I think this is a Packers team that is definitely going to win the NFC North, especially with how the bears have looked in second place over the last whatever weeks. Um, But I don't know. I just kind of get this weird feeling about them with how they've played over the last couple weeks or so. It's another team, personally, I'd think, that started, you know, the first three, four weeks extremely strong. But you got that loss to Buck, the, the loss to Tampa Bay, the loss to the Vikings, and barely pulling out a win against Jacksonville. I'm curious to see what you guys think about how Green Bay's been playing the last couple weeks. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I'm not sold on them as being the cream of the crop of the NFC. Uh, Then again, you know, I don't even know if there really is a quote-unquote cream of the crop because we talked about Seattle sputtering and Tampa looks great until they play New Orleans and then, you know, they look like a bottom five team. So I don't know, you know, I think Green Bay is still one of the best teams in the league, even though they've sputtered a bit. I think getting Alan Lazard back, this week is going to be huge for that offense because it gives Aaron Rodgers a number two receiver that he actually trusts. Uh, cause he's been dealing with some drops when he's been throwing the people not named Devonte Adams. 
So I think that'll help a ton, but I'm a big believer in what the Colts are doing this year. Um, that defense is legit. They take the ball away. Uh, they don't give up the big play. Phillip Rivers is going to fill up Rivers sometimes, but I think having a veteran quarterback like him is the best thing for that team right now. And I think the Colts can make some noise. They're a team where, you know, I don't think they're top five by any means, but they're someone that, you know, if they beat anyone or they cause any upset, I wouldn't be surprised just by the way they're built with that defense. You know, they have a decent run game. They have some weapons on the outside and they have Phillip Rivers who, yeah, like he's, he's a subject of ridicule nowadays a bit. Um, but he's still legit. Like he can still get the job done and he's a veteran and he knows what he's doing and he knows what it takes to win. So in this game, I'm going to take Indianapolis. I'm just a big fan of what they do. And, you know, in the same way that I wouldn't be surprised if they beat any team in the NFL, I'm also not surprised if Green Bay loses to any team in the NFL with the way that they're able to sputter. Uh, I don't like counting out Aaron Rodgers, and I do think Lazard back will be a big boost for that offense. But I just believe in the Colts' ability to pull off an upset more than I do the Packers' ability to win a game they should. So as for the Packers, uh, first of all, TJ, how dare you uh, use the Packers barely beating the Jaguars as uh, evidence against them as if Oregon State legend Jake Luton is not a star? Yeah, come on now. Bring him up. I don't know why I did. I, I know that the Packers, they were in the NFC Championship game last year, the 13-3 team. They were, they were good. I still don't think that their record didn't really reflect how good they were as a football team. I do think that this year's team is better, though, because Aaron Rodgers is playing better, and I'm never going to count Aaron Rodgers out of anything because he is one of – and in my opinion, the greatest quarterback to ever play in the NFL. We'll get to that at another day. We can argue that about that some other time. But as for this game, it's tough for me because Green Bay's run defense obviously isn't very good. But I feel like the Colts have kind of struggled a little bit in the run game. It, I mean, Jonathan Taylor, who is amazing or was amazing at Wisconsin, he was one of the best college football running backs of all time they just the for whatever reason he hasn't gotten it done and the Colts just don't really give him a ton of carries um so that you know that leaves him with Jordan Wilkins who sucks and Naeem Hines who's just a pass catching back so I kind of wonder if this is the week where Jonathan Taylor gets going against that Green Bay defense but with all that said I I'm gonna take the Packers and Aaron Rodgers I I like what Hugh said about the Colts and they're a good team and their defense is really good. Darius Leonard is one of the best linebackers in football. You know, Xavier Rhodes has been playing much, much better than he did last year um, and is starting for the Colts. But I just, I like the Packers a little more. And I do think that having Alan Lazard back is going to make a huge difference because, you know, Marquez Valdez Scantling's not very good. And whatever, the, whatever else they have on that offense. I mean, Lazard isn't like a world beater, but he, he's a good number two receiver, especially behind Adams, who is maybe the best wide receiver in football. So I'm going to take Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I think this is going to be a really good game. You know, it's a one o'clock Phillip Rivers game, so it's bound to be very good. 
see, how dare you talk about Marquez Valdez Scantling? Like he didn't score that 89 yard touchdown or whatever the heck it was last week with a little bit of help, help from that referee that, you know, that got in the way of um, his, his little, whatever it was, 80 plus yard touchdown. I'm, I'm going to go with you on this one. I, I like Indianapolis um, because I, I can definitely foresee with how not so good this Packers run defense has been. I could see this being a Jonathan Taylor coming out type of game because I, I feel like he's just, he's just so talented, so athletic. It's like you're not going to keep a guy like him down for so long. And I know I think the last – I like three or four games, something like that. He hasn't really done much at all. It's been a lot of Jordan Wilkins, again, like Sean said, for whatever reason, and a lot of Naheem Hines out of the backfield as well. I think Frank Reich and the Colts offense, I think they'll find some way to exploit how not so good the Packers uh, run defense has been this year, just kind of like the Vikings did with Dalvin Cook a couple weeks ago. And yeah, I, I like Indianapolis in this one. There's two veteran quarterbacks. I think it's going to be a very good game, and it's going to come down to the last possession. I, I think, it, you know, late game situation, and I get Phillip Rivers driving down the field against, again, uh, not incredibly good Packers defense. I, as great of a quarterback as Aaron Rodgers is, I, I'm going to go I'm, I'm gonna go with the Colts in this one. Just because, again, I could see – the Colts finding some way to exploit how not so good this Packers run defense has been this year. Listen, now that there's another person on this show and I am being outnumbered on this game, I just wanted to tell TJ how ridiculous it is that you're going to take literal Phillip Rivers late in a game over Aaron Rodgers. Come on. <laughs> you know, it may sound crazy. I don't know. I, it probably is crazy. I and it is Aaron Rodgers too. I don't know. There's just something in my gut that that wants me to take the Colts, and I, it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. Crazier things have happened, man. Stick by your conviction. I yeah. There's just it's. I saw I saw the matchup, and it's just it's something in my gut that's saying I for whatever reason this week I see the Colts coming out victorious again. Probably is crazy. So moving on to the Sunday night game. Um, back to the West Coast we go. Uh, battle of two AFC West teams this time, however. Um, and it's Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs taking on uh, Derek Carr's Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, Chiefs coming off a bye. They beat Carolina a couple weeks ago, 33-31, after uh, Joey Sly missed a 67-yard game-winning field goal. Would have been a game-winning field goal. And the Raiders absolutely dismantling the Broncos in Vegas this past Sunday by final of 37 to 12. Raiders took this first game in this series against the Chiefs. So this is this is a big game because not only if the uh, Raiders win this game, they would pull within one game of first place of Kansas City, but they would also own the tiebreaker against the Chiefs. So this is a big game for John Gruden's Raiders. Chiefs come in as seven-point favorites. I personally think that's a little high. But what do you guys think about this matchup? I saw uh, a stat today, and I apologize if the numbers are a little off, but 
I believe in the last 18 years or so, Andy Reid is 15 and three when coming off a bye, and the Raiders are like three and 15. So stats mean nothing to the individual. I get that. But you have a pissed off Patrick Mahomes coming off a bye to the only team that's beaten him this year. I would bet the house that the Chiefs pull off this win. Uh, I mean, the Raiders are one of us, one of the surprise teams this year at six and three. Um, you know, they've had some good wins. They've had some losses where they look really, really bad. And, you know, Derek Carr looks like the Derek Carr that we all like to criticize, but he's also looked good when he has all his weapons healthy, especially like a Henry Ruggs who can take the top off of defense. But I'm sorry. Patrick Mahomes is not losing this game. Like I'm not even talking about the Chiefs. Like Patrick Mahomes himself is coming off a bye. He's refreshed. He has arguably the best coach uh, in the NFL right now in Andy Reid coming in who's a magician off the bye week to a Raiders team that, you know, they they beat the Chiefs last time because they got some, you know, unusual late-game turnovers from Mahomes, and they got some huge plays down the field. And those are two things that, you know, can easily not go their way this time. And that's the main reason they won. So give me Kansas City. Uh, I learned from the Super Bowl that you can never count them out. Oh, why'd you have to bring that up, Hugh? Because if I'm hurting, the rest of the world has to be hurting. If I'm still sad about it, I have to share my pain. Yeah, so I kind of, I agree with you here because despite the fact that the Raiders won this first game and despite the fact that they have Henry Ruggs, who I love so dearly and he was very familiar with my love for Henry Ruggs. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes is pissed off, as he said, and he's playing better than he was at that point when they played the Raiders early in the season, in my opinion. I mean, you know, we, we kind of have been having this back and forth as an, as an NFL community as, you know, who's the MVP for honor? Is it Rodgers? Is it Josh Allen? Is it Kyler Murray maybe now? Um, but I, I still think it's, pr- it's probably Patrick Mahomes at this point. I mean, he's in- been incredible. I mean, he, he wasn't getting that kind of recognition because, you know, he wasn't stomping on people earlier in the year. And then it kind of started with the Jets game and it's the Jets. And he did what you would expect him to do to the Jets. And from then on out, he's just been amazing. And I just – the Raiders defense is, like, it's fine. It's not great. It's not terrible. But, again, I know they beat them last time, but the Chiefs – Offense is playing better as a whole, and when they're playing better as a whole, with all those weapons that they have, they're virtually unstoppable. Yeah, I'm I'm all over the Chiefs in this one too. I think it, it's going to be near impossible for anybody to beat Patrick Mahomes this year, more or less twice in a year, and coming off the bye, as you guys have mentioned as well. And I think this Raiders defense isn't bad, but it just seems like they give up some of those big plays, those like big third downs that they need to get stops on at just the worst possible times. You know, you saw it a little bit a couple weeks ago against the Buccaneers where they lost, I think, 46-23 or whatever, where, you know, they they would have the Bucs pinned back within their own 20, third and long, and they give up, you know, a big third down conversion. So, And I feel like we still tend to see a lot of that out of the Raiders defense against, you know, other opponents as well. But – 
yeah, it's just hard to rely on um, a middle of the road uh, average defense at best in the Raiders against Patrick Mahomes coming off a bye. And although I do think the spread is a little bit high at seven, or I could still easily see uh, Kansas City covering that no problem. I agree. I think it's a 10, 13 point Chiefs win. Um, Raiders really got to get Josh Jacobs going. I feel like a lot of their success is predicated on him uh, and how he plays. Again, when they beat the Chiefs last time, it came off big plays down the field to Aguilar and Ruggs and guys like that. But that's not likely to happen again, especially because this Chiefs defense has started playing uh, a lot better. I'm pretty sure they lead the league in turnovers currently. So, you know, this Raiders team can't shoot itself in the foot. It's got to play fundamental football, and that starts with uh, getting their bell cow back as many carries as uh, he needs to lead him to victory. Yeah, no, because, like, as much of the big plays as we saw against Kansas City the last time these two teams played, like, that's not, like, historically the type of quarterback that Derek Carr has been and, like, the type of quarterback that Derek Carr is comfortable of being as well. So I think if they did – if they do have a shot in this game – they'll probably have to rely on a very similar formula from the previous win, which was 40 to 32. But with the improvement of the chiefs defense over the past couple of weeks or so, I, I don't know. I don't see that happening. And moving on to our last week, 11 NFL preview game. It's the Monday night game. So we've hit a game in every time slot this week, the Thursday night game, a Sunday morning game, a Sunday afternoon game, Sunday night game, and the Monday night game Rams and bucks. The Buccaneers really bounced back this past week after beating the Carolina Panthers on the road 46 to 23. And the Los Angeles Rams, they're coming off a big, big win of their own 23 to 16 over the uh, Seattle Seahawks in Los Angeles this past week. Um, and they'll be traveling to Tampa Bay to take on the Bucks on Monday night. And so these are two teams, um, I think the Rams especially, this is a team on the rise. And the Bucks, I personally think, is or are the second best team in the NFC right now. The Rams defense, they've been playing well lately. And as good as the Bucks offense played against Carolina this past week, they looked absolutely awful against New Orleans. So what are you guys expecting out of this Monday night affair? Man, so the Rams to me, again are one of those teams where I wouldn't be surprised if they lost every week, but I also wouldn't really be surprised if they won every week. They're so middle of the road where like McVay's a great coach. They have a great offensive scheme. They have some big playability on defense and like Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey who can change a game. But all those guys I mentioned also can disappear in games and then they're just, you know, who are the Rams at that point? I'm with you, TJ. I'm a big fan of the Buccaneers. Coming into the season, I thought they were very overrated. I didn't think just the addition of Tom Brady at this age was going to be as effective as he is. And he has shown his age sometimes. You know, the games against the Saints, he hasn't looked great. But the formula for beating Tom Brady is the same as it's always been. You make him uncomfortable and you get to him. And you know, things fall apart. He's a statue back there. He always has been, you know, he's arguably the smartest football player to ever play. Uh, and when he runs his system of perfection, he gets hot, you know, good luck stopping it. And with all the weapons he has in Tampa, uh, that's, it's hard to do. Uh, can the Rams do it? Yes, because they have Aaron Donald and, 
you know, you look at the three Super Bowl losses in Brady's career, all three of those losses came because of the interior pressure that collapsed the pocket on him. You know, the Eagles did it with Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham, and then the Giants always did it with, you know, guys like Justin Tuck and Strahan and Jason Pierre-Paul. So the Rams can do it. They can slow down Brady. Uh, I mean, this defense is, you know, similar to what it was in the Super Bowl when they met a couple of years ago. They had Aaron Donald then, and, you know, they still lost that game. Uh, but that one was more on their offense. But here in 2020, I'm taking the Buccaneers. Um, Gronk, you know, has scored in last last like three or four weeks straight. Uh, Brady's finding a way to distribute the ball to all of his weapons, which is just going to spread out the field. Yeah, Ronald Jones has come into his own too. He broke off a 98-yard touchdown. So that offense is clicking on all cylinders. And this Rams offense, it can be high scoring, but, you know, it's sputtered at times. And I don't know if I believe in their consistency to be able to match this Bucks offense. Yeah, I'm going to take the Bucks too. And I, I recognize that, you know, that the offense has struggled and especially against the Saints two weeks ago. They bounced back against Carolina. And I do think Carolina is – like a, a frisky kind of team. But the, the main reason that I'm picking Tampa is Hugh mentioned how that offense can kind of disappear and sputter. And that is on Jared Goff. I, I think Jared Goff is, and I've talked about this before, he's just a super inconsistent quarterback. You don't, you don't know what you're going to get from week to week from him. And this Tampa Bay defense is really, really good. I mean, you have Jason Pierre-Paul, Ndamukong can sue. Then you got Devin White, who I think is fantastic. Avante David, and I think they're just going to get after Jared Goff, who doesn't like pressure. I mean, we saw that in the Dolphins game. He was all over the place. He didn't know what to do. He looked awful. And this is a better defense than the Dolphins' defense. So I do believe that McVeigh might be able to scheme something up against this defense, but I just think that eventually it's going to come down to Jared Goff having to throw the ball. And I, I don't trust that. And on the other side with, with the Bucks, I, their offense, I mean, he said that he, or that uh, Tom Brady has shown his age at times and he has, but for the most part, they've been very, very good. And even if Jalen Ramsey locks down one of Godwin or Evans, you'll have the other one and then Gronk and all those other guys that, he loves to throw to so I'm gonna take Tampa in this one it's mostly out of a disbelief in Jared Goff in the Rams yeah I'm on Tampa here too because like as much as like um I think McVay can scheme something up against this Tampa defense it ultimately comes down to what does Jared Goff do with it it's not going to come down to how good the schemes are or you know this or that or whatever it's going to come down to how Jared Goff performs as a quarterback against the Bucks defense and like Sean was saying they're deep at pretty much all three levels of that defense and that's that's shown so far this year and I think something about the Buccaneers offense it <laughs> it was extremely scary watching Ronald Jones scamper for 98 yards for a touchdown this past week because you know obviously the Bucks offense has revolved around Tom Brady this year and Ronald Jones has been has been pretty good when he's ran the football. But, you know, if they're able to establish a, a good run game and they're able to kind of add that second dimension 
on the offensive side of things, that offense is going to be hard to stop no matter how good the defense is. And, you know, that's a team obviously that, um, you know, if the Bucks were to go up against Seahawks in the playoffs at some point in time, that's an offense that could easily put up, you know, 40 plus points on that Seahawks team. But yeah, in this game in particular, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go Tampa Bay just because again, how well-rounded the Bucks offenses looked sands the game against New Orleans and because of the fact that it just doesn't seem like I just don't trust I should say Jared Goff's ability to drive down late in game against the Bucks defense and you know potentially get a go-ahead or game tying score yeah I'm with you I mean Jared Goff is again he's kind of like that Ryan Tannehill category but I believe in him less than I do Tannehill honestly you know Jared Goff looks like the quarterback you'd want he's decently mobile Uh, he's good off play action he's got a big arm but just mentally he checks out sometimes to the point where I'm with you TJ I don't trust him to go win me a game uh, at the end when it's needed I think McVay can scheme up uh, a decent amount of points each week and they got some uh, some weapons out there with Woods and Cup but yeah, I don't believe in Jared Goff as being that clutch player. And obviously, if it's between Tom Brady and Jared Goff in terms of you need a game-winning drive and who's going to give it to you, it, 10 out of 10 times, every person with a brain is taking Tom Brady. And with that being said, I don't even think it's going to come down to that. I think the Bucks win by 10. Yeah, and on, on Jared Goff, you know, he, he's obviously not – the same quarterback that he was a couple years ago when he was in the MVP conversation and the Rams were scoring 35, 40 points a game and the go to the Super Bowl. My theory is that kind of, I want to get your guys' thoughts. My theory is that the Super Bowl kind of broke him as a quarterback because he has not been the same since. I just, I don't, I don't know if that's like baseless or I kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't seem like he's been the same quarterback. Cause I mean, I feel like a lot of people tend to forget how good and how dynamic that Rams offense was that year that they made the Super Bowl. And a lot of people, you know, coming into that game is like, okay, Rams offense, great. Patriots offense, great. And it ends up being whatever the heck it was, 16 to three or whatever. And yeah, it's just ever since then, which has been what, two years now, Jared Goff has been that up and down quarterback and nowhere near what, he was and that offense was that year that they made the Super Bowl run. Yeah, I don't think it's baseless to say that, Sean. You know, they that offense looked legitimate in like every game they played. And I'm sure you guys remember that game against the Chiefs where it was literally both teams dropping, you know, damn near 50 burgers on each other. And then they come into the Super Bowl and they score three points. Like that's unheard of. There are significantly worse teams and offenses that have made the Super Bowl and scored much more than three points. So, yeah, I mean, the game of football, especially for the quarterback, is so mental that I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, there's some trauma from that Super Bowl loss where you come in as this great offense and you, you know, wet your pants a little bit and they've never been able to recover. And, you know, McVay might fall into that same category as Goff, too, is you know, self-doubt after a loss that brutal that, and they've never really been able to recover. Yeah. I just want to end a uh, kind of a, a, an argument that NFL Twitter has had for the past couple of years. 
regarding McVay and Goff versus Shanahan and Garoppolo. And uh, I think we can definitively say that Shanahan and Garoppolo are the more handsome duo. Because I know this is widely talked about on Twitter. So Easily. Even though my guy Shanahan's had some gray beard uh, coming in over the last couple That gives him that, that silver fox, like, distinguished kind of look, you know? That's true. That's true. Yeah, but God, my poor guy Shanahan. The stress has gotten to him the last couple of years, and you can you can see it. Yeah, as I say, that's gotta that's gotta have something to do with the gray hairs, you would think. And you know, don't don't disrespect the gray hairs sometimes. You know that <laughs> could add could add something. But uh, yeah, no, I I saw you you posted the the Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, you know, when he put the chain on after New England win a couple of weeks ago. I mean. That <laughs> that that doesn't say something. I don't know what does. <clears throat> the, the Jimmy the Jimmy G with the chains. Yeah, that God, that win feels like a year ago with how <laughs> bad all these losses have been since then. And now all of a sudden, like Jimmy probably won't play this year, and he might never play another snap as a Niner. So, God, that that chain picture seems like a long time ago. All right, and we uh, finish off the episode of From the Podcast by talking about our own Nevada football. And before we get into the hype about, you know, how Nevada football has been doing this year, um, Hugh, why don't you give us just a little uh, just a little bit of insight of kind of your experience through Nevada football, kind of um, the work that you did with them over the years that you were at uh, university. Yeah, so the past two years, um, during the, the last two college football seasons before this one, uh, I was a graduate assistant in the Nevada athletic department while I was earning my master's uh, working communications. I got to work uh, directly with the football team, essentially doing PR and social media for them. So, you know, I got to travel with them, uh, helping set up interviews and media availability with the players, uh, writing and telling their stories and working with the coaches and players in that aspect. Um, and then I also did a lot of social media work for them. And I essentially ran the Nevada football Twitter account. Uh, I was helping strategize the content that went out from there. And then during games, I was live tweeting them as well. Um, so I I was really up close and personal with Norvell and his staff and the players the last two years prior to this season. And that's a good group. Norvell is, uh, like I've worked with a lot of coaches and he's one of the most down to earth and personable. He, he was an NFL wide receivers coach back in the day and um, one of my favorite moments was when we went to the Arizona bowl and it was just me and him waiting for media availability one time. And I just kind of asked him like, Hey, so, you know, when you coach the Raiders, like Jerry Rice was there during that time. Right. And he's like, yeah, man. And I'm like, okay, like I need you to understand like how insane that is to me that like you essentially coached like the greatest player of all time. And like, even though he was already like established as, you know, pretty much the goat at that point, like, that's amazing to me. Like, I can't piece that together in my mind. And he was just so cool talking to me about it. Uh, and there was no ego there. So really happy for uh, Norvell and his staff and, you know, the people associated with that team, they're doing great things. And, you know, this Forno starts a long time coming. He's been building a really good program uh, out in Reno, and I'm excited to see it all come together this year. Yeah, before before we move on or keep talking about the football team and what they've been doing this year, I just want to quick funny little story is I actually met Hugh uh, because of his job in one of my journalism classes. I had to interview someone for a project, and one of his uh, graduate classmates was my 
teacher's assistant and he gave me his email. And so, you know, we had this really awkward interview and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I went to a baseball game, which he also worked and pointed a camera at him while he typed and tweeted for 10 minutes. And it was all extremely awkward. And, uh, yeah, that's our origin story. And now we're, I don't know, friends is kind of strong, but <laughs> now we're, uh, now we're podcast, uh, we're podcast, uh, friends, we could say. Yeah, exactly. We're podcast friends. And I just kind of am in that group chat to tolerate you. Tolerate's a good word. <laughs> now, yeah, I definitely really wish we could have bonded a little bit more, Hugh, doing uh, Nevada baseball this past year. I know because I was going to, I know, travel on a few games with you guys. Um, and obviously that ended up getting canceled due to the COVID stuff. Um, but, but yeah, um, I know me and Hugh have bonded over the, you know, our shared love of video games and whatnot, and me finding out that uh, he is the second best Super Smash Brothers player in the world <laughs> behind me. That is, but yeah, no, def- definitely would have been uh, cool to do a little more bonding over the over this past baseball season. But but yeah, man, uh, Nevada football four and zero start this year. Um, I think everybody definitely saw that or definitely knew or at least me us on the other hand knew that it was going to be a process with Jay Norvell obviously there was a lot of you know kind of questionable decisions questionable moves that he had made over his first couple years but now it kind of feels like this is the year you know with how Carson Strong has been playing and stuff like that it's really starting to come together I mean shoot this was the first week this past win against New Mexico it was the first week that they were unable to score 30-plus points on offense, and they were still able to put up 27 and pick up the win against um, New Mexico down in Vegas this past uh, Saturday. And, boy, they got a huge game coming up this Saturday. I mean, this is, uh, bar none, their hardest game on the schedule. At home against San Diego State, uh, it was actually just announced today that the game is going to be shown on national TV on CBS – and the Aztecs come in as a point and a half favorites. And so I'm curious to see what your guys' take is on this game um, because I mean, it's going to be a really gritty, competitive football game. Kind of seems like it always is when these two football teams are playing uh, at their best. And, yeah, kind of give, give me your thoughts on this, on this uh, upcoming game. I think the whole key for Nevada is going to be Somebody not named Romeo Dubs is going to have to step up. It is inexplicable that four weeks into the season, teams still aren't covering this guy. Like he's he's he scored like eight touchdowns already in four games, and he's had two games with you know where he's had a hat trick of three touchdowns. It's ridiculous. And San Diego State is the team that is not going to let Romeo Dubs beat them. I, they are going to sell out to stop this man uh, as best they can. So, you know, your Melquan Stovalls of the world and your Justin Lockhart's of the world are going to have to step up and, you know, have big games. Cole Turner, this would be a big day for Cole Turner uh, if he's able to, you know, get in the end zone, maybe pass the century mark in receiving yards because Nevada's going to need it. And, if anything else, too, they got to get the ground game going. We know what Toe is capable of. Devontae Lee's a more short yardage back. And it's weird that I'm having to talk about the offense as being 
you know, the key to winning this game because the offense has really been the better of the three sides of the ball uh, for Nevada so far this season. But with how good the San Diego State defense is, statistically it's one of the best in the country so far. Um, the offense is going to have to score points. And, you know, the defense is what it is. They can get after the quarterback with their defensive line a little shaky in the secondary. Tyson Williams is good, but coverage-wise, you know, you hold your breath a little bit when other teams are looking deep. So we know what the defense is. They'll hold their own. Uh, They'll probably get a takeaway or two, which will be huge. But my biggest concern is where do you go on offense when Romeo Dubs is not available? Because I have a feeling he's not going to be. Uh, If Nevada can keep this close, obviously – you love close games as a Nevada fan because you have one of the best and clutchest kickers in the nation and Brandon Talton. So I'm just, I'm curious to see who on offense can step up. Uh, and as long as Carson takes care of the ball, as we know he does so, so well, um, I think Nevada should move on to five and zero. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, as to your point of who, who's going to step up if Romeo Dubs is being locked up, I think this is a game where you miss Elijah Cooks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you miss him a lot in this game. And, you know, speaking of Carson Strong, I, I will have to eat crow on him because, who oh boy, was I wrong. I, all of last year, the Purdue game, you know, I, it, it was what it was. It was a great game. But I did not believe in Carson Strong whatsoever. I did not think he was good. And this year he's come out and they've been terrific. I mean, Boise, you know, they, they got stomped by BYU and without, you know, their quarterback. But Nevada's looked like the best offense in the Mountain West so far this year. They've been terrific. And I know they played UNLV, who is awful. But I think this is a big week for them. I, I do like them in this game. I know San Diego State's defense is really good and they're a really good football team. But I just think that this offense, the way it's been playing so far. And even if Romeo Dubs does get taken away a little bit, I still will count on him and think he will make one or two big plays that might be game-changing at some point. Yeah, no, Sean said exactly what I was going to say. I mean, Elijah Cooks is going to be sorely missed in this football game because, I mean, he was a stud throughout the first couple weeks of the season, and then he goes out with that injury and, you know, he was, I mean, absolutely behind Romeo Dubs, the number two wide receiver on that offense. Um, but we've seen a lot of good things so far from the from the Wolfpack offense out of, like what he was saying, out of Justin Lockhart and out of Cole Turner. Um, you know, a couple of those guys, or those guys, they've, they've got a couple scores this year, have been able to uh, show that they're able to produce in uh, in Nevada's offense so far this year. And Carson Strong, he's he's done a pretty good job, I would say, without Elijah Cooks in spreading the ball around the field. And I think that um, says a lot to the success that he's had so far this season. And obviously, this is going to be the you know the biggest test, especially on the uh, defensive side of things that Carson Strong's going to face this year. But I I think I'm going to give Nevada the edge as well because I. I can, I could see, you know, Jay Norvell, because obviously Jay Norvell, he's proved to be a coach's way around the, the league pretty well so far this year. Um, I think he's, he definitely knows what's coming in the San Diego State defense. 
And I think he's going to find some ways. Obviously, Romeo Dubs will still be involved in the offense, but I think he's going to find some ways to really get those two guys and Turner and Lockhart really involved in the offense, as well as the ground game. Because, you know, Toa Tala, especially, um, you know, he, he shows those um, spots of greatness from here, from here and there. Um, he's an explosive back low to the ground that can pick up, you know, 15, 20 yard gains at a time sometimes. And I, I would really like to see him get going a lot this week. And obviously Devonte Lee get his, uh, get his due as well in those short yardage situations on the ground. Um, but I think as long as the formula is there for Nevada's offense, again, in terms of getting those two and three wide receivers involved, and keep pounding on the ground game with Tala and Lee. I like the Wolfpack in this one. Yeah, and I think one thing that's key too is, you know, if you have potential Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year, Dom Peterson, playing the game that we know he's capable of playing, this might not matter because San Diego State defense or offense, excuse me, uh, isn't extremely lethal. And if you're putting their quarterback on his back, and, you know, Sam Hammond and Dom Peterson are doing their job up front and Lawson Hall is playing like Lawson Hall can. Uh, it's the Nevada will be fine. Their offense is good enough, even with dubs locked up to put up, you know, 21 points with ease. And if this San Diego State team can't score, uh, even as good as their defense is, it, it's going to be lights out for them. So I still I still feel good about Nevada um, playing at home, I think will benefit them. Uh, they just can't lay down a dud which has happened a couple times in the past uh under jay norvell and this is this is going to be the real hump where they prove to the world whether or not they're for real on national tv yeah i was i was it's funny you say that i was just going to bring up that this was already the probably the biggest game on Nevada's schedule this year and being in on national tv with the sec on cbs guys calling this game at 12.30 Pacific time, this makes it exponentially bigger, and this is your chance to show the country what you're capable of, or at least show the group of five what you're capable of. And God damn it, AP, give Nevada some respect. They're 4-0, and they got, they got three votes in the poll last week, and I think that this is their chance to kind of, like I said, be on national TV and get that recognition in the polls because they're still behind Boise State as of right now. And I, I recognize Boise State is what it is. But I, I think this is a huge game for the program, given how it's being televised. Yeah, I mean, I mean Nevada got less votes, less votes than San Jose State in the AP polls. And like, I get San Jose State's been great so far this year. Um, but I think, like we were kind of talking about bar none, this Nevada offense is lethal. This is the best mount. This is the best offense in the Mountain West so far this season, and that they're going to be going up against a San Diego State offense where, like you know, obviously their defense for San Diego State as a program has has historically been really good, but you know, a lot of times you'll see their offense just not get it done sometimes. And yeah, I think this is huge again with it being on national TV because I know we we've got the you know, the college football playoff polls got to be coming out soon. This is going to be a time to take a huge step forward 
if uh, if you're the Wolfpack in in terms of getting that national record recognition that they so rightfully deserve. Yeah, man. Let's start putting Nevada on the map. I'm here for it. Give them some national love. It's time. I mean, what yeah, we- Nevada. You know, Nevada got some clout during the election, so now it's time for the uh, the real Nevada football team in the state to get that recognition too. Well, trivia. I mean, when was the last time Nevada was ranked in the top 25? Was it the Kaepernick years? I believe so. Yeah, I don't think they've been ranked since. And they were ranked high there because I know they were, I think they were top 15 at least when they beat Boston College in the bowl that one year. Uh, they finished at 11, I believe, that year. Needless to say, that was, just, that was a great, that was a great fun team to watch. I, I remember exactly where I was and uh, when that Boise State game happened. I was in a hotel room and God knows where um, watching the game with my parents and we we're just kind of flicking through the channels. I wasn't huge in the college football at that point. And we flicked through Boise state came Boise state game came on and, you know, it was close. We we're like, Oh, you know, Nevada, let's, you know, let's go ahead and watch it. And, you know, that game ended up transpiring the way it did. Uh, I, I really want to say that was a game that really got me into college football. Um, was just flipping through channels at a hotel room and, finding the Wolfpack game and watching how that game turned out. And then obviously it was amazing how it did. So that's all we got for episode six of fun of from the shotgun. Um, Hugh, it was great having you on Sean. It was great as usual. Any final thoughts from either of you? No, man, I'm just, I'm just thankful you guys let me, uh, let me talk this long. This is a lot of fun. Uh, I'm really proud of you both and what you guys are doing. And I look forward to listening to every new episode every week. So uh, whenever you guys want me back, if you know, people don't unsubscribe after listening to me, I'd be happy to chop it up with you guys whenever. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for coming on you. Um, yeah, I'm sure if they unsubscribe after listening to you, they'll surely resubscribe after we have Luke on. So, but uh, yeah, it was a fun day having you on. You know, uh, big day for Twitter getting stories. So it's just a fleets, a big day. Fleets, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> for God knows what reason, but yeah, we appreciate you listening to us as always on From the Shotgun Podcast. I've been TJ Sarbacker, and we look forward to hearing from you next week in episode seven of From the Shotgun.